1: The warm bliss of summer is here. It's July and our UK summer has finally started to deliver a delicious mix of blistering heat and humidity, which means if your garden is anything like mine, it will be positively teeming with life and bounty, which is why we're going to be hearing some top tips from Matthew Biggs, author of the great British village show on how to wow with your veg at any fate you set your sights on. And also, I'll be heading to my allotment to harvest a bucket of beans before taking you through how to replant them for an autumn crop. And finally, we'll be meeting master lavender grower Simon Charlesworth to discuss the rich diversity of this flowering shrub and the best approaches to take for guaranteed growing success. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. The Great British Village Show a wonderful coming together of the community to showcase the best harvests of fruit, veg, flowers and crafts in the surrounding area. And of course the Harvest Show has spread from small countryside parishes to suburbs and cities as gardeners everywhere seek to display the best from their gardens. With presentation season around the corner we spoke to Matthew Biggs, author of the Great British Village Show, to get you better prepared.
0: You
2: walk towards the village hall, there's bunting over the door, a crowd of people outside chatting. And then you walk in and there's that smell of the earth of living things. And you look down the tables, these rows of tables with plates and vases, uh, vegetables on them. Often there's a lovely green base cloth if you're very, very posh. And you feel that you're in a special place, a very special place and it's amazing to see vegetables rather than just plopped onto the uh, draining board or being carried in a bucket but beautifully arrayed the catwalk for vegetables and flowers it's their day where else could you be other than your local village show My name is Matthew Biggs, I'm a gardener, writer and broadcaster. And from a child I was interested in village shows. We had a little village show in the village where I lived and everybody would turn up with their produce and it was such a fascinating community event. There is always a group of people who take it seriously, even in the village where I live now. That's the serious element. And the other element, which I rather like, is when people go, What's in my garden this morning? When I think about village shows, and actually when I step through the village hall door, there's this wonderful feeling of fecundity and the joy of the garden and the variety and the colour and the shapes and the forms and the chatter. It just brings everyone together in a little bit of friendly competition. Gardening, as we know, has this natural way of keeping everyone on the same level. So whether you're Lord somebody or other with a gardener in a massive greenhouse or whether you're freeder on the allotments, there's still going to be the same challenges of watering and feeding and pests and diseases and poor seasons. We aim for perfection, but we don't always get it. So I think that really does help to even out the playing field. One of the great crowd-pleasers are the giant pumpkins. They feed them on all sorts of things, by the way, just to digress. Beer, tea, even water, for goodness sake. So there's all sorts of almost alchemy going on to try and make gold out of these vegetables, particularly the large pumpkins. But one chap I spoke to, he said, yeah, he said, one year I was watering and feeding and caring for and talking to and loving this one single pumpkin on one side of my compost heap. And the allotment plot was on a hill. And for some reason, he never went behind this great compost heap. And then one day shortly before the show, he went behind the compost heap and there was an even bigger pumpkin. There's an obviously, as anyone who grows pumpkins know, they range about. You need a lot of space to grow pumpkins, and this one had found its way down the back of the compost heap, down the slope, and of course, whenever it rained, all the water was percolating through the compost heap, taking all the goodness from the compost heap and doing its own liquid feeding to create this giant pumpkin. Plants like beetroot, again, you're looking, with a lot of these, for consistency with size. And this, again, is where numbers actually help. So if you've got you know, 20 to choose from, you're more likely to get three that look similar than if you've only got five. If you're not wanting to grow large, but grow perhaps more sensibly and realistically, then here are my top tips. One is to sow as early as you possibly can and get as many plants in the ground as space will allow if you're going to be serious about it. Remember with the root crops like your carrots and your beetroot if you don't water them regularly they're likely to split so water them before the onset of drought to make sure that they have a continuous supply of water. Make sure that you thin vegetables out that are sown in rows because obviously you want to leave them plenty of space to grow. The other thing to do is to protect your plants so growing under horticultural fleece is really uh, helpful because obviously when you present them you're looking for consistency of size and blemish free. The other thing I think is feeding but don't Overfeed. If you've got a soil that's in good heart, with plenty of well-rotted organic matter in it, then don't overfeed. One of the other things that you should remember is that some of these crops can be grown on the windowsill or on the balcony. They're not necessarily allotment crops. So you could grow, for example, some stump-rooted, some short-rooted carrots in a box. You can grow in anything pretty well, providing that there are drainage holes in the bottom. So even if you only think, I know this year I'm going to submit spring onions, then you can sow spring onions in a window box, for example. There are, of course, stories of sort of shenanigans and dodgy happenings. For example, a friend of mine who does a lot of show judging said he was looking at some carrots one day on the show bench. And he suddenly noticed that a tiny, tiny area, a couple of millimetres wide and five millimetres long, was a slightly different shade to the rest of the carrot. So he looked down uh, a lot closer, and what actually happened was he got the tip of his pencil and just sort of ran it along. uh, And somebody had filled it with either floor polish or shoe polish to make it look good. But yes, there are some people who sometimes seek to gain advantage through nefarious ways for the community i think a village show is a connect with tradition it is in an ever-changing world It is something that we know has been going on for decades. They hit their peaks in Victorian, Edwardian times. The village show is part of the structure of life of a village. And one of the great things is that it's now filtered out to the suburbs or the centre of town. It gives people a reason to grow. It's all well and good to grow for the family and to feed yourself. But that's a little bit too practical. You want some fun out of this, so the village show brings the fun. For me personally, I judge shows. I even take my life in my hands and judge at the local village show. They say you should never judge in your own village show because obviously they know where you live and where your children go to school. But it's just so much fun to be part of it. And there is that wonderful harvest festival feel, it's the gathering of people together, all these elements that I think make the village show one of the most wonderful events in the British gardening calendar.
1: Thanks, Matthew Biggs. Matthew mentioned growing giant pumpkins. These are quite tricky to grow and I've never really managed to achieve a huge one. They need a lot of water, a lot of space, and they need careful feeding and attention to detail. And I'm just too busy to do that. I grow an awful lot of pumpkins and I have to say that a a pumpkin compares very unfavorably with winter squash when it comes to flavour. But on the other hand, there's a certain pleasure in carrying this enormous pumpkin that fills my wheelbarrow to the car and popping it in the back, even though I'm dismayed on how I'm going to turn such an enormous pumpkin into soup. And uh, I nothing I enjoy more than visiting a flower show and seeing all the lovely stuff that people have produced. The elite growers that produce the giant vegetables are a wonderful lot. They're full of the most interesting anecdotes and stories. One that amused me was about the long beetroot. As well as round beetroot, you can get very long ones shaped like a parsnip. And one of the criteria for winning a prize of your very long beetroot is that you measure it from the tiniest, teeniest tip of root that you've managed to excavate to the top of the swollen edible bit. And I heard that uh, one dodgy person decided to splice several bits of root together to get a really long one. How on earth they thought they'd get away with it, I really don't know. But um, that's the thing about growing giant vegetables, it's a bit like fishing. There's always that giant one that you didn't quite make, or was just right, but then you broke it in the car. You have to take these things with a bit of a pinch of salt. Now from the table, back to the farm. Let's head to my allotment to get our fingers dirty harvesting and replanting some beans. That's the sound of broad bean pods landing in my bucket as I harvest my overwintered crop of broad beans. They've been in the ground since October, but now it's time for them to go. I'm just snipping off the stems of my secateurs about 8 inches, that's 20 centimetres above ground level. Going to re-sow with French beans in the south at the end of June there's plenty of time for French beans to grow well and have a lovely second crop so that'll be two crops in one year. I sowed on last October harvesting the first crop now and I'll harvest the French beans sometime in September. So I pulled up all the weeds as I go along, I'm using a thing called an alpine trowel put an elastic band around it at two and a half centimetres so I know how deep to go and I'm just going along now and every 20 centimetres 8 inches I'm putting in a couple of seeds so the beans are going in fast and I've left the stems at 20 centimetres high for a reason and that is because as soon as I finish sowing the beans I'm going to cover them with a big sheet of fleece and that's because of two things. One is there's a bean seed fly is rife in the southeast and that'll damage the beans as they come up and also deer. I've got a lot of deer around here and deer absolutely adore French beans. So I'm going to go ahead and finish this plot and then that'll be a a nice load of beans ready for September. I've also got some beans at home in pots that I could plant out. I will later on when I clear more of the beans. It's a mighty crop (laughs) it's it'll take quite a while to finish but I'll get the ones in the ground to start first and then they should be up in about 10 days if any luck and then they'll grow fast under the fleece. I'll have to lift it up and weed them from time to time And that's all there is to it and it's a very welcome crop indeed as the other things begin to decline come autumn. One of the fun things about growing vegetables is trying to get free crops every two years and that means that when an early maturing crop like broad beans that were planted last autumn mature and are harvested and there is scope, with the rest of the summer still ahead of us, the growing season will last until mid-September in most regions, a bit longer in the south. There's scope to plant some more things, like the French beans I just planted. If you're interested in growing French beans for a late crop, I suggest you go for dwarf beans. And there's a wide range of cultivars offered by seed companies. They're bred for the freezing industry and the plants that are grown are very productive, bushy and they don't get too big and the seeds germinate quickly. So two I've grown this year are Nautica and one called Stanley. And I also like one called Maxi. I like Maxi because it holds its beans above the foliage so it makes harvesting a lot easier. However there's a wide range and there's also traditional ones that are still available like the Prince and Canadian Wonder which are good beans, they're not as good as the modern ones, they're more stringy but the seed is considerably cheaper and they'll give good results too. So when crops finish and you clear the ground don't waste the space. Plant things like French beans and endives and chicories and lettuces and radishes for a late crop of lovely fresh produce starting around about early September and finishing in the middle of October. After the middle of October conditions get a bit cold and you have to move on to the winter veg like cabbages and carrots and brussels sprouts. So take advantage of the opportunities now when most people are harvesting their produce to get sowing and planting. One of my absolute favourite flowers that makes full use of our fickle British sunshine is none other than the lavender. We spoke to master lavender grower Simon Charlesworth from Dairy Nursery in Kent to hear more about the diversity of this marvellous plant and learn a few top tips.
3: I started the business in 1991 in a little eight foot by ten foot greenhouse and grew a load of sun-loving plants. And when I first sent out the mail order lists, everybody went for lavenders. So I ditched the rest, concentrated on lavender. It was also a fascination with not just the normal looking lavenders, but stuff that most people hadn't seen, and I certainly hadn't seen. And just growing the range and, and looking at the diversity of the generous. Most people are aware of things like Hidcote and Munstead, but we realised there were so many other different ones that were better or tougher or withstand pruning better. And then there were the French lavenders with the ears or bracts on the top. And then there were even more way out lavenders from places like Yemen and Oman and Saudi Arabia. And you just get hooked on the whole broad spectrum of the plants. The key thing about growing lavender is that you need to have well-drained soil. Yeah, the best time to plant lavender is either early May when the soil's warming up and hopefully most of the frosts are past, or early September when hopefully the soil is still warm and the weather hasn't deteriorated too much. Plant in full sun, maybe sun for most of the day would be okay but generally it's full sun all day and ensure that you prune them at the right time above everything else because if you prune them at the right time then they'll last a lot longer and the key thing with that is not to just wuss about up in the stems you have to get right down into the heart of the plant maybe take a third of the foliage off so for something like Hidcote that. Flowers June, July, you'll prune that by mid-August, going a third into the foliage, and then something like the anniversary bouquet, which flowers a little bit later, and other ones that flower maybe just into August, you'll prune those in early September. Not quite so severely because they haven't got so much time to recover before the autumn and winter. And the key thing is that recovery period. And if they regrow brilliantly because you get light into the heart of the plant, then they'll last much longer, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. Lavender is great for hedging. So you can go for the really short angustifolias, maybe up to 60 centimetres. You plant those 30 to 40 centimetres apart, or you can go for something a bit more magisterial, such as the anniversary of Bucay, in which case if they grow up to a metre or so, and you plant those about 45 centimetres apart. And then for both of those, within about two years, they should meet to form a solid hedge. The key thing with caring for your hedge is to prune again at the right time and not to be frightened of pruning hard as long as you do it at the right time. Your pot planting, you could go for any of the lavenders but some of them may be just too big and too ungainly. So the shorter types are perhaps best for a moderate sized pot of perhaps 50 centimetre diameter So you've got things like folgate and melissa lilac. There's purple treasure, which is a bit shorter, very vibrant purple flowers. The neatest of all, if you want a very sharp looking pot, would be Betty's blue, which is a rich mid to dark purple, but very tidy at the edges. It doesn't flop about at all. In terms of cutting lavender for bunching and displaying or putting into lavender bags, we use different varieties at different times. So the first ones that we cut ourselves, there's one called Miss Daunderry and there's one called Elizabeth. Both have really dark flower heads and we cut them just before the flowers or just as the flowers are beginning to open, not when they're in full flower because if you cut them in full flower those flowers will start shriveling up and make your bunch look a bit messy. So the key is to cut and clean a bunch, I don't know, maybe 150-200 stems together, hang them upside down in a cool dark place for about two weeks and then they should go solid so when you turn them back the other way upright, in other words, the flowers won't droop. And then a bit later in the season, we'll be cutting things like the Anniversary Bouquet and Olympia, which both also have great color and do the same with those. And then we also cut one called Grosso, which is the world's most widely grown for oil production. But that's because there's so much scent in the flower, but because it produces so much scent, it's good for drying in a similar way to the others. And then, stripping off the grains, as they're called, the little calices that the flowers pop out of. Just rub them between your hands, collect up those grains and pop them into lavender bags. Squeeze the lavender bag every month or so if you're keeping them in the drawers or the wardrobe, and that just releases the scent. And you can put that, along with the darker ones, into potpourri so you get a scent, but you also get the wonderful colour from the dark ones. I think lavender's worth giving a go if you've never planted it before. It's great, as we've said, for wildlife, but it's also a wonderful plant to remind you of summer. And there are three that we would recommend as sort of starter lavenders, and they are Purple Treasure, Folgate, Melissa Lilac, and the wonderfully known Ashdown Forest. Each of those lavenders are indestructible really. So you can plant them in slightly wetter conditions, you can prune them hard and they'll come back well. So they're not as delicate, they're more robust than maybe something like cake.
1: Simon Charlesworth. To learn more about Downderry Nursery and see some gorgeous photography of the many lavenders, pick up a copy of the July issue of The Garden, our free magazine for RHS members. I certainly agree with Simon's advice not to be too afraid when pruning, Some years ago, when we had the lavender trial at RHS Wisley, when we tested an enormous number of lavenders, that would be about 2002, we had a long discussion with Charles about the best way to prune lavender to fine-tune the RHS advice that is available online. We came to the conclusion that pruning by a third in late summer is actually the best way to do it, and you get good regrowth and much better flowers the following year compared to just giving it a light haircut or doing the pruning in spring, which is what some other people advocate. So don't be afraid that you'll damage the plant. You'll actually be making it healthier and bushier. So if you're after a little shrub that's more or less trouble-free, consider lavenders. That's all we have time for today. Which is just as well because I've got an awful lot to be getting on with in my garden. The current intense humid heat is uncomfortable for people, but it's excellent for plants as long as they've got enough water. And if plants run short of water, remember to water them thoroughly. There's no need to water them often, but do it thoroughly. So a really good soak, perhaps uh, four watering cans per square meter, will actually get the water down and the plants will then be in position to keep their stomata open, which means that they can take in carbon dioxide, make use of the most intense sun of the year. The sun is falling now, uh, getting less each day, But it's still very, very intense compared to the sunshine we'll be having later in August. So plants really do grow fast at this season. And as a result of all this lovely sunshine, as long as they've got enough water, they'll be delivering an absolute bounty of produce for you to bring to your table. So from me, Guy Barter, see you next week.